Support for Starting Small comes from Human Scale, the leading designer and manufacturer of high-performance ergonomic products that help create a healthier work life. All of the products from chairs to standing desk and more are comfortable, easy to use, and sustainable, and great for either the office or the work from home environment. With an increase in shifting workplaces, comfort can be especially hard to find. As I run the podcast, I'm in front of my desk for hours a day, from scheduling, researching, interviewing, and more. Human Scale allows me to remain productive without the consequence of body stress to follow. Make sure to check out Human Scale at humanscale.com and use code STARTINGSMALL at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. That's code STARTINGSMALL at humanscale.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Kelsey Moreira, founder of Dope, cookie dough delivered to your door, ready to eat raw or baked, you choose. While working in the tech space for years, Kelsey encountered an addiction with alcohol. After getting sober in 2015, she rediscovered her passion in the kitchen, and this is where Dope was created. Now with their Dope for Hope initiative, Dope is working to reduce stigmas around mental health and addiction. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Moreira of Dope. Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me today. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, so I was born in Dallas. Um, My family moved out of Dallas and took me to Northern California, um, where I ended up kind of going through my true upbringing, if you will. Um, I've got a great loving family, uh, but they did split paths. They had a divorce when I was um, six years old. So got the opportunity to meet two amazing step parents and kind of go through, you know, having a dual household through those years. Um, In my childhood, I was, you know, pretty intense as a kid. Like I think when I was eight, they used to be like, she's going to be president one day. This goal has changed. I do not want to be president, but you know, I just was always like really outgoing, um, really interested in learning and oddly very interested in marketing as a kid. So had Mm -hmm. leaned into that world. And, um, when, you know, still childhood years got an opportunity to work at Intel when I was just 16, um, very much so still a kid, but jumped into kind of that corporate world and, um, this intensity I had and always wanted to kind of be the best had, been a little unhealthy for me on the anxiety spectrum, um, though unnamed back then, you know, it's not, uh, mental health wasn't such a big discussion for kids. It was sort of like, can't you just get it together? You know, all that. So yeah, a lot of my childhood was really struggling with trying to find the balance, um, and not be so hard on myself. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Such a busy childhood. I'm curious, would you say that you had an entrepreneurial mindset, say like lemonade stands or Sony Mm -hmm. products growing up? Yeah, funny enough, I actually <laughs> I had these little like paper business cards and a little pamphlet that said why I would be the best babysitter in the neighborhood. And I used to go like door to door. I think I was like that's 13 awesome. years old. <laughs> um, that's probably my very first like entrepreneurial thing. I, we did some lemonade stands, but, uh, you know, nothing was quite as big until my babysitting empire <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I attempted to start. But I do I look back and laugh thinking I really went out of my way to make business cards. And, you know, wow. I was just always a little over the top, even like school projects and stuff. It was like, mm-hmm. I'd have like a matching t-shirt about the project I was doing. You know, my <laughs> mom would help me like do some iron on thing to have uh, my shirt match the dinosaur I was presenting <laughs> or whatever in school. Um, so yeah, always kind of like to the extreme and a certain like marketing focus for sure for a kid. Amazing. So you mentioned you got into Intel at 16. I, I've never heard anything like that. So how did that opportunity happen? And specifically marketing was that? 
Yeah. So this was um, back in the day, they've since closed this portion of Intel, this program, but it was a high school intern program that they were doing. Um, I'm sure you can immediately guess the reasons why it ended up getting canned. Um, (laughs) You know, some high schoolers are a bit more unruly to manage than others, but Mm. I was really grateful that this was running when I was in high school. I had a neighbor who worked at Intel and she had come over and uh, knocked on the door and my dad answered. She was like, hey, do you think Kelsey would want an internship at Intel? She could work in, in my group. And he was like, yes, she would. <laughs> like, she'll be right <laughs> down, you know? And I just remember this so clearly, him yelling up like, Kelsey, you're gonna work at Intel, <laughs> like come downstairs. Wow. And, and that was, you know, what would have just been a summer internship. Um, I really threw myself in and like, I was, I was soaking it up. I loved it. I thought it was so cool to be around all these people um, learning so much about business that I'd never really been exposed to before and put my all in. And at the end of the summer, they asked if I would stay on part-time through the school year. And so that's really where it wound up being 10 years at Intel, um, part-time every school year, full-time every summer until graduating from college and just becoming a quote unquote normal full-time employee, um, just with a bit more time under my belt than a usual college graduate. For sure. So I saw that you went on to study at Arizona State University in 2009. Uh, What Mm -hmm. did you study there? Uh, International business and marketing. Yeah. Okay. Um, With your time there, were you involved with any athletics or clubs? Would you say? Uh, I did join a sorority. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one element of my story that got much stronger during my time in college is my troubles with alcohol. I had started Mm -hmm. to drink when I was 14. Um, And the first time I drank, I drank till I blacked out and had this like, this release, you know, from that intensity I mentioned from all the stress and my brain running. And it was sort of like, I could just be, I could pretend to be like everybody else. Um, Mm. And I think I really, I just got heavier into that uh, when I started at Intel, you know, wanting to still fit in with the kids and what I thought cool kids were doing while I'm spending my day with people, you know, 20, 30 years, my senior. Um, So it was really an interesting time for me, but I really leaned on alcohol to, to get through that. And when I went to ASU, it is already, you know, I don't have to explain it. It's a party school. So, um, yeah. you know, it's seven days a week. There's a party to be at. And it really wow. fueled my troubles um, with alcohol for sure. It, it uh, enabled it in large part. And um, I, in many ways, made this choice to get sober so much sweeter because I realized how shallow so many of my, you know, friendships had been. I just had a lot of drinking buddies. And when you get yeah. sober, you get to realize like, oh, like this is what like a real like friendship is like. And, um, you know, I I'm grateful to have a few of the friends, um, you know, long term that I've had through all this and have known me old Kelsey and new Kelsey um, and supported me through. But yeah, many people during those times, the ACO was like the sorority life and all those things I had jumped myself into. They weren't they weren't really me, you know, it wasn't really who Kelsey yeah. is. I should have should have joined like a baking club <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. That would have been more me, but I, I just wanted so desperately to fit in. I had a lot of troubles with self-confidence um, when I was still drinking. Mm. So with this time period, you're still at Intel and going through school. Um, how would you keep up with academics and then all of a sudden transition into the workforce while with the struggle? Was the work aware? Was it affecting your work, et cetera? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I mean, my time throughout all of my drinking years, it was extremely difficult to say, I've got a problem, I need to stop drinking Mm -hmm. um, and really come to that conclusion because everything else was working, you know, because I still had a great job, because I was still getting straight A's. Like, I don't know how, but I was a really (laughs) high functioning alcoholic. Um, I am a I suppose just like a high functioning person. I just got a lot of energy. I like to wake up early in the morning, um, always go, go, go. And like, 
and that persistence to like not let myself or anyone down, you know, and always mm -hmm. shooting for the best I could be that didn't go away with alcohol. You know, I was, I was using alcohol to deal with the offshoots of it, almost like the repercussions of that intensity. Um, but it didn't affect the performance um, in large part. And, you know, there are exceptions to this, of, of course, like, uh, you know, I missed a few classes because I was too hungover to go, um, but I was able to make it up with like the grades I could get on the exam or, or things like that. And similarly mm -hmm. had come into Intel um, very hungover one morning and had uh, and a, a coworker at the time uh, who I'm still friends with now, shout out to Todd. Uh, he <laughs> sent me home, you know, he was like, Kelsey, you know, you're not in good shape. I think you're still drunk. You need to, you need to go home and sober up. Um, so it was, that was a mortifying, you know, moment, but I think I was 19, 18 or 19 at the time. So um, just still not enough for me. Uh, each of these events that happened and the many others that would follow like individually weren't enough to say, I got to stop, you know, I have to, yeah. be done because everything else seemed so okay. So it's one of the reasons I love to be able to share my story and hope that someone else out there who's struggling but defending can mm. say like, it's okay to give in. It's okay to like change your relationship with alcohol, even if the rest of your life hasn't fallen apart yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I just was For like, sure. I don't want to push it. <laughs> Let's not try. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I saw that you announced sober around 2015. Uh, was there a specific turning point that resulted and kind of like pushed you in this direction that you wanted to do this and make this next step? Yeah. Um, like with many people who decide to get into recovery, there are like multiple attempts often, uh, to get sober and, uh, mm -hmm. or to find a way to make alcohol still work in your life. You know, for many of the years it was like, well, I'll just have tequila on Thursdays or like, I'll just have a water after every drink. Um, and I did, I tried to get sober for a short stint in like a reset mindset. I thought, well, if I just stop mm -hmm. drinking for, um, four months, I'll be able to like get it together. So I got sober at 21, um, for four months. And when I started drinking again, I was, you know, for the first week, like, look, I'm doing great. I'm having a half glass of wine. And then that was quickly squashed. And I was back to blacking out within about three weeks, um, from mm. resuming drinking. So that's kind of the first like notch in the belt, like, you know, all these different events and incidents that would take place were these notches to say like, man, I really wish it wasn't like this, man, I really wish I could stop. And the final hurrah, if you will, was September of 2015, um, as you mentioned, and mm -hmm. I was on a business trip in Barcelona. Uh, business trips are always the worst for me. It was sort of this like other land where you're away from people who know you have a problem. You're like mm. able to kind of let loose. Everyone else wants to let loose. You know, I had such a yeah. like party mentality of like, I never want the night to end. Like I want everyone else to have fun and business trips give you that. Like they also are away from their families and whatnot, like want to let loose and have some fun. Um, but they don't have troubles with alcohol, you know, they're not an alcoholic. Mm. So um, usually things turn out okay for, for the others that indulge in those times. And it just wasn't that way for me. So had started drinking very early in the morning when I had arrived in Barcelona, I was there a day early. Um, so decided to take it upon myself to let loose. And, um, you know, I just let too loose. I came to three 30 in the morning, uh, in a stranger's apartment and no idea where my belongings were or what had happened the night before, uh, mortified that I had just, you know, destroyed a four-year relationship I was in. And, um, mm. yeah. And I just thought, this is it. Like, I just, I have more to offer the world in this and I mm -hmm. never want to feel this way again. I was so tired of apologizing for stuff I barely remember doing that felt like an alter ego Kelsey had come out and tried to like yeah. ruin my next day. You know, that's kind of how mm -hmm. all those mornings would feel. So I was just so determined. And I called, um, my Nana, my grandmother, who was 
21 years sober when she passed away. So most of my life hoping that I would also get sober. And, um, yeah, I told her, I was like, it's time. Like I'm done. I want to get sober. Um, what do I do? And she was like, you need to find an AA meeting and get your butt over there. So I found an English speaking AA meeting in Barcelona that morning and I'll celebrate six years this September. Wow. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Of course. So around this time in 2017, uh, dope is introduced. Um, I'm curious, what was the inspiration behind making your own cookie dough and especially out of your own kitchen? Sure. So, um, one cookie dough is amazing. So that, <laughs> that's yeah, been in my for sure. life for a long time, right? All of us kind of like sneaking bites, you know, out of the mixing bowl as kids, or maybe in college, like not baking that tub of, uh, you know, Nestle that you bought or whatnot. But, um, as we know, those do have eggs in them and, uh, raw flour, which is also bad for consumption. So, um, things we've changed in, in what I launched with dope, which is awesome. Um, but this idea really started right when I got sober. So this is like the fall of 2015. Um, just trying to figure out like, who is Kelsey now that this, this layer, this alcohol is gone. Like, who am I? Like, what are my interests? Like I had no hobbies, you know, what, what do I enjoy doing? And, um, put my hands sort of in everything. I tried painting again, did some like pottery, you know, it was like gardening that failed and, and just kept kind of like putting my hand in things. But one thing in particular that I used to love as a child was to bake. Um, and still you know, through my whole life, love to eat sweets. So I was always a big sweet tooth and literally my nickname with my family is monster baby for being such a messy <laughs> eater and like having some ability to get like chocolate cake on my forehead while I'm eating it. Um, so I've always loved that. And I, yeah, I really threw myself back into the kitchen, um, baking and it was a very meditative thing for me to have the calm measured precision that goes into baking. Um, sort of this like other world to throw your, your mind into and, and quiet mm -hmm. things down. So I uh, was bringing in a lot of baked goods into the office and getting some of these nudges of like, this is really good. You know, you should sell this. And maybe as you mentioned, like that childhood Kelsey going around with my business cards and pamphlets <laughs> about babysitting, it kind of triggered that thought of like, I could do my own thing. Like maybe I could start a business and, and yeah. sell something. So I was, um, attempting part-time veganism <laughs> during mm. this period. I thought, you know, let me see if I can try and, um, move into a like cleaner, healthier lifestyle just on, on vegan baking, but I loved butter way too much. So that's why I use the word part-time. Um, <laughs> I really couldn't let go of that. So I was using butter, but I'd found a great egg substitute while baking vegan that I loved with flaxseed and, um, started working that into my recipes where now my cookie recipes that I made for a long time were just safe to eat as much as I wanted raw since I wasn't using any eggs and um, able to bake some as well. So kind of the best of both worlds of, you know, enjoying a, a number of spoonfuls and then also having wow. a few warm cookies. Um, so it just hit, I thought, you know, I, I watched trends and where things are going. And I remember on Pinterest back in 2017, you know, tons of recipes of like, cookie dough ice cream or um, cookie dough cheesecake, you know, people trying to make these different recipes with cookie dough and mm -hmm. uh, cookie dough ice cream, of course, has been around for a long time. I think 1983, it was first introduced and it's still a best-selling flavor for Ben and Jerry. So um, mm. I thought this could really be it. Why can't we get like a whole like pint of cookie dough? You always have to um, either risk it with the stuff that has salmonella or dig out these little baby nuggets of cookie dough from the ice cream um, yeah. that was available. So yeah, dope was dope was born. And um, I said, let's give it a shot. Wow. So where did you look for recipes then? Were, were these your own recipes or were you sourcing online? 
Yeah. I mean, over the years baking, um, you pull from enough like Pinterest recipe, this or that, trying to kind of get your hands in it, that you get a sense of like, here are the general ratios of, of cookie dough, um, you know, to make cookies. And I always loved how versatile cookie dough was. I, you know, had really gotten down this one recipe that was sort of the base blonde dough over the years. And then, you know, if I had pretzels and caramel pieces, I could make like a pretzel caramel cookie, or like if Mm. I had white chocolate chips and craisins, I would throw those in and make a cookie in that, in that vein. But that like base dough was really, um, the starting point that I had to work off of. So my, people always ask like, how long was your R and D process? And I'm like around the four hours, like in the kitchen <laughs> of my apartment in SF, just saying from this, you know, base that I love that I've now made safe to eat because of the vegan egg substitute I know. Um, and would come to find out about the flour as I explored launching this for the public, um, you know, heat treated flour, but, uh, essentially it was about, you know, what flavors can I make from here? What are some fun, you know, unique combinations that I could do to, get some flavors, test out, you know, I had a goal of having, I think I had four and a vegan and gluten-free option, um, mm-hmm. on the first day, just to be able to see, do people like this? Are they willing to pay this price? What do they think mm-hmm. of the marketing? Um, and, and sort of go from there. Wow. So when you first started selling, were you selling local then and shipping personally hand in hand, or you weren't shipping these, were you? Start? So when I first started, um, really I was doing anything. I was like on Uber Eats and Postmates and I was doing catering and pop-ups, um, working at a food park seven days a week. So it was, a uh, anyone that will take me, I will sell it to you. We had a little bit of wholesale yeah. as well. And then, um, you know, I had built a site even before we sold a scoop. So I, uh, was very focused on what I could do online as well, but, um, the e-commerce side of the business until late 2019 was really a, if you stumbled on our site or if you came across us, you could order, but we didn't push um, any paid ads until the fall of, of 19 to really start growing our direct to consumer business, which is now, um, you know, virtually hundred percent of our business today and, and going mm. into grocery next, but had started with that real in-person environment of like the scoop um, concept yeah. of being a part of these events and, you know, office happy hours or birthday celebrations um, that wanted a dessert there we were there to surf and I'd built this like $500 little cart out of, it was the coolest looking cart, like <laughs> reclaimed wood over this metal steel cart that I could affix together and break it completely down to put in the back of a Prius. So wow. I don't know if I could still do it today, but man, I did that like <laughs> multiple times a day, every day for the first maybe six months of the business. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So- I think back to it. I'm like, I used to just tell the <laughs> Lyft driver or Uber driver, I'd be like, if you could just wait here for one second, I got it, you know, cause I knew the exact like puzzle way to fit in the table, the tent, the car, yeah. the dough, like, you know, I had my perfect little jigsaw puzzle. So I'm like, I got this, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It was a lot of work. I was very bruised. Oh yeah. It sounds, sounds very intense. Yeah. What, what, what flavors did you launch with at start? Uh, we had chocolate chip. Um, we had our s'mores flavor, which at the time was called the s'mores hella lit. <laughs> um, <laughs> we had a chocolate chip and cram- dried cranberry one. And then um, the vegan and gluten-free flavor was called hashtag vegan life. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you said you weren't running paid ads at the time. So I'm curious, what were your main forms of marketing? Um, was it mainly local marketing? Yeah. So we did all, I mean, in part it's, uh, being where you are. So like, even mm-hmm. when we were on pier 39, um, we got that store in November of, of sorry, 17 and opened it up. Um, February of 2018 was the grand opening. So, um, you know, when we had that, it was like, 
the traffic that is on the pier was finding us and we really didn't do too much in marketing. Like I think our overall marketing spend for the entire year, um, you know, 2018 was like $50,000 or something like that um, mm. at marketing and advertising. So we were really relatively low budget back then and not doing any paid ads. So we were paying for like a pedicab that had a sign on the back that said dope and the space we were at at Pier 39. Um, and then similarly with the, um, food park we were at, you know, always kind of like heavy traffic and just people who were there. Um, and then I relied on organic, you know, we did a lot of growth in our um, social media platform, our Instagram page. Um, you know, I think within the first, first six months or six to eight months, we grew to 10,000 followers on Instagram and, and Facebook mm -hmm. and just being able to kind of get this following behind who we were, what we were selling, where we were at. Um, a lot of that kind of like word of mouth in San Francisco got a ton of catering business for us. Cause it'd be like, you know, your boyfriend at LinkedIn just had us cater. So <laughs> you <laughs> ask for us to come cater at Twitter and so on. So, um, got a lot of great corporate catering opportunities in the beginning, um, by way of word of mouth and kind of the buzz that started with dope in the beginning. Amazing. I'm not sure if looking back at kind of those times and those marketing tactics, but from back then, do you have any idea of what your main demographic might've been from, um, either just organic traffic or social media? Yeah, I think it's similar to today, perhaps a bit younger because we were so focused in just San Francisco versus today mm. our sales are uh, really spread quite evenly across the country and not just metropolitan areas, all the little cities in between. So um, yeah. we have a really great sort of diverse group now and we look at like 18 to 34 year olds is really our key audience. Um, and then when we were in SF, you know, you've got a lot of sort of the millennial aged folks that were out there originally now a bit of Gen Z in the workforce. but. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty similar to who we have today. Um, and the cool part is seeing like the types of people, when you think about personas, um, you know, young parents have had quite an affinity for the product. Um, but unusual for desserts, we actually have a stronger following of like male parents of young children. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe wanted to be like the cool dad <laughs> and bring home the, <laughs> bring home some cookie dough for the family. Um, or wanting kind of like a easy baking activity with the family. Um, you know, we provide kind of some family fun in that regard. And also the gamer segment, we've had a really strong following um, thanks to our mental health and addiction recovery focus uh, with those that are passionate about it in the gaming community, which is really nice. Mental health is such an important topic there. Mm, amazing. So what does the preservation process look like to allow for shipping then? So like today with the e-commerce being pretty much 100% of the business, how do you preserve cookie dough to allow for shipping? So one great thing about the recipe is ours is safe um, at room temperature for two weeks. So luckily when we ship, we don't have the guidelines of like cannot exceed, you know, 42 degrees. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we are okay if it shows up around room temperature, but we do cold ship to keep it chilled in the journey because everyone knows it is most certainly not room temperature in a, in a FedEx or UPS truck. So um, yeah, we do keep our dough frozen um, right from the point of manufacturing. It gets frozen, so you keep it as fresh as possible. Um, it's packed with ice packs and insulation in the box, and we ship it out with two-day. And um, again, yeah, it arriving, you know, just room temperature, slightly chilled is, is all good to dig into. People can leave it on their counter if they like to enjoy it soft or keep it in the fridge. And um, I enjoy popping it in the microwave for like 10 to 15 seconds if it's refrigerated before I dig mm -hmm. in just to soften it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. Or you can half bake it with ice cream or make a milkshake or I could go on and on. <laughs> Lots of fun usage ways once it's made it to you. But yeah, D2C shipping is, a, is an animal. For sure. So your time on Shark Tank now, moving into that experience, 
What was that experience like in your POV? And especially like the pitching process, walking in um, and hearing about the opportunity for yourself. It's very overwhelming. I think that's the one word to put it is like, it's a very overwhelming experience um, and much longer than people realize. Like the whole lead time of, I went to a casting call, you get your first call back, there's video submissions, phone calls, uh, tons of paperwork, hire a lawyer to help you read it. Um, You know, it's just, it is a really long process. It's not like a, they might love you in the first first casting call process, but it still, it has to go through all of their, their rounds. And so it was May of 2018 when I went to the casting call and I filmed in September of 2018, right around my three year sobriety anniversary, which was a nice little hurrah for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I've had a few guests who have been on the show and something that they have mentioned and I love asking as well is, um, after the airing, they notice a spike in sales. And I'm curious for yourself after your episode aired, did you notice a spike in sales on site as well? Yeah, overall, like session traffic too. It's it's certainly like it eclipses your best ever day preceding that. Um, so it is really neat to see that many people coming to check you out and you know making sure you have your website up and running. You've got a great pop up for capturing emails, um, super important, so that you can continue to market to them and hope to close a sale down the road. Um, when I went on the show for filming, we were very predominantly focused on the storefronts. In fact, raising money for our next storefront in Las Vegas. Um, and not so focused on the direct consumer business. I think I mentioned it lightly during the episode, but wasn't the key message. And so I think we had a maybe smaller pickup in those initial sales than we would have if we were more focused on online um, and had said, you know, we ship cookie dough like nationwide right to your door. Um, It was very much like how, you know, about how great the stores were doing and the expansion Mm -hmm. franchising that would be possible and, and grocery store shelves down the road. Um, so I think that immediate, like, I want to go and buy portion didn't happen as much as like people coming to see like, oh, is the business still around or what are they doing? Um, yeah. Which has been great. Shark Tank is a great sort of like badge of honor. And then it does re-air for us every month and a half, two months or so. Um, and we get another big spike and it's like, oh, Shark Tank went again. We start awesome. to get some direct messages of people being like, hey, we just saw you on the show. Um, so that's always really cool. And I, I got to share my um you know, that I was sober and, and that that's really what started my my journey into dope on national television. So mm. it's really moving the kind of messages we get from that of people feeling like, um, you know, they want to reach out, share a story about them or a loved one, or just thank mm-hmm. us for what we're doing on those topics. Amazing. Looking at dope today, then, um, what would you say separates dope from your competitors? I think it all comes down to purpose. You know, um, mm. consumers more and more over the last 10 years have been more concerned with what is this company doing for the world? Um, there's this you know big trend right now where everyone wants to be like better for you as far as the product goes and you know is it organic and vegan and gluten-free and uh, paleo and keto and like all of these things. Um, yeah. But you know we really do in many ways stand out product wise because we're not trying to be any of those things. We're just a really delicious as you would have had it, you know, ingredients you can actually pronounce, but we use butter, we use sugar, we use flour, um, and it's going to taste like cookie dough. You know, it really is cookie dough. It's not um, trying to be a health food and we're not shoving adaptogens in our cookie dough or anything like that. It's just plain delicious and there's a great purpose behind it. So with Dope for Hope, we donate a portion of every single purchase to a nonprofit that works on mental health and addiction recovery. 
um, tons of stuff that we do through our communications to our customers and then also a really robust mental health policy for our staff that I'm very open about and love helping other employers get on board. Um, we just got certified as a recovery friendly workplace in Nevada. So there's a ton of stuff that employers can do to be more um, conscious of what they're doing for their staff. And that matters to, you know, our customers too. So mm. I think this idea of really taking something that is otherwise a commodity. I think of it like, look at Starbucks. I remember Howard Schultz talking about like, it's coffee. You know, anyone can do coffee, yeah. but he's not selling coffee. He's selling this experience, this community um, that he had built. And I feel the same way about dope. It's cookie dough. You could make it at home. There's, you know, people have been making and eating cookie dough even with eggs in it for a very long time. And while yeah. I think we have the most delicious recipe, it's really got to be something more that brings people uh, in and coming back and wanting very authentically to tell other people about it. Mm, amazing. Looking at all of your products that you have on site today, uh, I'm sure you have an idea, but what would you say is your top seller? Oh yeah, um, tried and true. It's our ride or die. It's chocolate chip <laughs> cookie dough. So mm. when people think of it, you know, they're like, I just want cookie dough. And it's like, wait, they're all cookie dough. You know, I think at first <laughs> um, there's so many wild flavors. Like we even have like a non-alcoholic whiskey maple bacon cookie dough right now with ritual oh, wow. um non-alcoholic spirits and you know there's all this crazy stuff so i think people sometimes are like is that cookie dough or is it going to be ice cream <laughs> or like they just can't quite picture it so ride or die is number one and number two is cookie monster which is blue for cookie monster and it's a cookies and cream cookie dough uh it's delicious <laughs> mm, it's super it good, so good always sneaks up because people are like i didn't know about the blue one and then i tried it and oh my <laughs> god so you got to try it <laughs> Awesome. Well, I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Yeah, man, if I had to boil it down to one thing, I think the one most impactful thing for me building dope to where it is today and where it'll go has been this idea of positivity towards the outcomes, right? Like I'm always mm. focused on what we're doing, what we're going after, it's going to work. It maybe will need a different path. Like it might not go exactly as I'm planning right now. And, you know, we hit something that we've got to find a way around, but I'm just, I really have that mindset that like this dope will be a household name. You know, we will find mm -hmm. a way through, um, and every little obstacle that will come up. And, you know, some of them seem so daunting in the early days. You're just like, how in the heck are we going to make this happen? But I really am always so positive and optimistic about making sure there's a, you know, knowing that there's a way through and putting out that type of energy has brought the right people, the right opportunities, um, right in time, you know, every time mm. I needed it. So it serves you mentally and outwardly with other people wanting to get involved in what you believe so passionately about. Mm, for sure. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out dope at dope.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And it's D-O-U-G-H-P.com. Doe with a P on the Perfect. end. Sometimes people can't quite grab that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's also in the podcast description. So look down below. Amazing. Thank you so much. Have a dope day. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.